0: Adam Neely. hey, how's it going, man? Good to see you. The last time I saw you was at Nam, yep. right? The great disaster and amazing uh, experience <laughs> that is Nam, yes. <laughs> and before that was in Canada, and we we played metal together.
1: Yeah, that was quite an experience, uh, man. Um, if you guys haven't seen uh, this video, it was this thing that was put on jared dine's channel and there's like a behind the scenes thing with stevie t basically this recording school flew us up there to make a metal song it it was really cool (laughs) and it was it was a strange experience uh but it came together it was great it was amazing that
0: wasn't their pitch though they weren't they didn't say hey you guys want to come up here and play some metal they were (laughs) like uh just come up here and uh, see what happens and that was when i met you and i had already been checking out your videos on YouTube and I think I actually tried to get in touch with you at a previous NAM show and we didn't hook up because that's what happens at NAM there's a million things happening uh but we are kind of kindred spirits cuz we both went to the esteemed Berkeley yeah. College of Music oh god so that makes us really really good musicians and <laughs> no no as a result we our opinion matters more than everyone, right? Uh, that's definitely not the case, but uh,
1: there is a oh, cer- okay. certain certain uh, kindredness, of course, uh, with people who go to Berkeley. I mean, it, one of the crazy things and um, that I've found is that just Berkeley alumni are everywhere and you just end up running into people and you're like, oh my God, you went to Berkeley? And uh, it's a, such a huge school too because, um, you know, I there's a bunch of the people that I play with now that went to Berkeley that I didn't know at Berkeley and we went to Berkeley at the same time. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. you know, it's, there's so many people who go through, go through it. And, um, but it was pretty cool. Like meeting you and realizing, Hey, you went to Berkeley too. Did we go around? The, it was around the same time. Right. Um, I graduated in 2011. What okay. about you? I was, uh, gra- I graduated Berkeley in 2009. Oh, so, uh, okay. Um, so, how old are you? Uh, how old am I? Uh, I'm, God, terrible question. Uh, I'm 29. I'm 29.
0: 29. Okay, so maybe you're you're a little older than me. I'm 28. But okay. either way, people of all shapes and sizes and ages go to Berkeley. So, uh, what would you say is the biggest thing you took away from going to music school? Well, I think the biggest thing was just the community of
1: people that was honestly and this is something I say all the time to people who are interested in going to music school uh, you go to school so you're in an environment with people who are equally as passionate about the music as you are at least from my perspective that's the uh, that's my big takeaway because I met some pretty amazing musicians who are just really down to eat sleep breathe music 24 7 yeah. And, you know, that's a pretty special thing. And it's very difficult to find that anywhere else besides music school. And when you have a bunch of young, kind of stupid people just who don't know anything about the world, but they know that they really care about music, it's a pretty wonderful thing. And Berkeley's great for that because there's so many different kinds of people who come together, so many different kinds of genres represented, so many different kinds of instruments that it's a pretty special place. But you'll find that sort of thing anywhere. Um, obviously, like the curriculum and the program's great. Um, you know, I had a great time learning a lot of you know interesting jazz theory from people. I was a jazz composition major, so. Uh, oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, we were very, very. Uh, there were not that many, many of us at Berkeley jazz composition <laughs> no. majors. Uh, we were not the cool kids. Let me tell you that. Um, there
0: weren't. There weren't many cool kids. I don't know if that's that might be a one one place that's kind of devoid of cool kids, which I think adds to its charm. Uh, sure. there are a lot of people who may think they're cool I was one of them yeah I thought I was really cool
1: It's an interesting thing because you're you're constantly writing the line of like look at me I am awesome I am a god and oh my <laughs> God, I'm not good enough for anybody oh my God do I even believe here that person is so much better than I am
0: yeah and- extreme highs and <clears throat> extreme lows certainly and that's a lot like the music biz I think for sure uh, you know we have kind of a unique music career that I don't think even a lot of faculty at Berkeley would be able to teach in a way that we would, which I think that could change in the future. Uh, But I think that music school, to kind of put a bow on this topic, (laughs) I think the most important thing that I learned was to be unsure of myself all the time. Interesting. And be able to deal with that sort of mental strife because you either yeah. practice or you don't practice. You're either going to get good or you're not. Yep. But being able to deal with failure and people being really, really good and you comparing yourself and figuring out how to forge through that, yeah. I think that's the, actually the the unwritten benefit of music school.
1: For sure. I mean, I that's just something you have to deal with constantly. And it's less your ability to feel good about yourself or bad about yourself it's just understanding that it's always these ups and downs and almost detaching yourself from your ego in a a way just um you know music school definitely helps with that because if you're able to separate yourself from feeling like you know amazing and feeling terrible and just like letting (laughs) it you know letting um having faith that everything will be all right and you know this is maybe a lesson that Uh, needs to be taught and needs to be learned about things beyond just music but it certainly was it's certainly heightened in music school because you're doing something that's so you're so passionate about you're so excited to play music and that can bring some pretty pretty crazy emotional highs and lows for
0: sure so for any of you guys who don't know adam uh he has a really cool youtube channel that i don't really know who to compare it to uh (laughs) maybe you can tell me some of your influences but if i had to summarize it i would just say it's it's like a how stuff works for music uh, you know what how stuff works is have you heard of that uh, it was like one of the original sort of just like explainer videos when those oh. were first being created okay. that was a a platform where they were the really high quality ones lived and it, you could go there and figure out how anything works Uh, pretty good name, how stuff works. So you do that, but with music. And I want to ask you a question. Why do you know so much stuff? (laughs) Well,
1: um, (laughs) I don't. Um, this is the thing (laughs) is that I have a good, um, I have a good ability to give people the impression that I know a lot of things. No, I, I know, I know stuff. Um, one of the interesting things that this YouTube, um, career i guess that i've like sort of developed for myself and you've developed for yourself and we all have is that i have an excuse now to research i have an excuse now to spend a lot of time learning about things and pouring through scientific journals and listening to a bunch of kinds of music and talking to a bunch of people with the express purpose of creating a video trying to talk about a particular esoteric subject in music theory in philosophy in linguistics and you know all these things that are you know, before my YouTube channel, I just had a, an interest in, um, like I was passionate about learning. I was passionate about just the world around me, but now I have an excuse to actually learn more, which is fantastic. Cause now I get to make these videos and you're asking like, what, you know, will you compare my channel to the, the one that's, uh, going around, uh, all the time is Vsauce4 or the Vsauce of music. Um, Vsauce, if you don't know who Vsauce is, oh he's, yeah, yeah, he's like, Bill Nye for the internet generation, just like these really interesting videos about mathematics and science. And it's, you know, I I like to try and think about making the videos that I do kind of with that in mind. Like um, when I listen to somebody like maybe Neil deGrasse Tyson or Michio Kaku or any of these science popularizer type people, I don't actually, after listening to them talk, I don't actually know um, that much about quantum mechanics or quantum theory or astronomy, but I get excited about it. I now have like a general inkling of it. And so, you know, even if I'm talking about, I don't know, some really crazy, complicated, irrational time signature or something really far out there, I like to try and just get people excited about the same things that I'm getting really excited about. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of the where I'm coming from. Um, I like to use my YouTube channel as a means of just learning more for myself and also getting other people really excited about the subjects
0: that I'm excited about. So give an example of a video that you're the most proud of.
1: Okay, so the video that I released today, actually I'm pretty proud of, it's about uh, infrasound. It's all about like uh, this whole, um, I read this thing about how like there's supposedly this frequency that uh, when you play it, it's an infrasonic frequency. We can't hear it. It's too low. It's below the human range of hearing. Supposedly, when you play it at high enough volume, it causes your eyes to vibrate. And because <laughs> your eyes vibrate, yeah, and it's ridiculous because your eyes vibrate, then um, it causes all these crazy misfirings in your eye. And that's maybe a reason why people see ghosts. So I was like, all right, great. Um, I'm going to like test this. I'm going to ex- like learn it and like. Go into the subject, seeing like, okay, will I be able to see ghosts? And I bought myself a subwoofer that was able to reproduce that eighteen hertz tone. I did it. I wasn't able to see ghosts, but I kind of used that as a jumping-off point to talk about infrasound and also ways of tuning. And basically, it was just like this. It, a lot of What it is happens for me.
0: next will blow your mind. Yeah, kind of. But <laughs> what What do you think? Uh, like, I don't understand how you found to research that thing because. I that's the thing that's unique about what you do is I can go on my channel and I'll talk about music theory that anybody will be like, Oh, I know what that is. Even if they don't know how to do it, they're like, Oh, I I understand. But when you approach these subjects, it's like literally every video you put out has a title. I'm just like, all right, what the hell (laughs) is that? And how could anyone even not even find out about it, but you go through these long video essays on the subject and I'm not a study guy. I don't study. I I was never good at studying or things like that. And your videos seem like something that I would not like. (laughs) However, I do like them. And I think that's saying something for any of you who are like not into, you know, any sort of learning, which can be a lot of us from time to time. Uh, it's really interesting so how did you come up with this subject where where is the inspiration did you just stay on the internet for 24 hours a day or how does it happen
1: yeah I stay on the internet a lot I mean Wikipedia rabbit holes are a real thing and honestly oh. like uh, some of it is just like I get a germ of an idea so I had heard of this because of a researching another subject um, There's a video of mine that did very well, and I'm actually really proud of it. It's what music is this, or what is the slowest music possible? And basically, Mm. I used the video to try and explore, like, how we listen to music, how we listen to rhythm, and how we listen to slow music. And there's a composer that I was, uh, that I found out about and learned about while I was researching this video. His name is Lamont Young. And he composed this piece of music called The Well-Tuned Piano, which is a very it's a very weird piece of music. It's like six hours long. It requires a microtonal piano, and it's really interesting to listen to. And so I listened to it, and then I was doing a bunch of research about the well-tuned piano. And while I was doing that, I had heard about this frequency, the super low frequency. So it's like this kind of. I have this all these different uh, Google Docs where I just like list all the like random ideas I have. And a big part of making my videos is less about like these, you know, really. Esoteric subjects is about almost telling a story with the subjects, like yeah. um. And I, I pay a lot of close. I pay a lot of close attention. Yeah, I guess the, I pay close attention. There we go. English. Yeah, uh, I pay close <laughs> attention to. Um, the structure of my video essay is the same way that you might pay close attention to the structure of your songs. You want to have like high points and low points. You want to sort of approach the editing with a sort of rhythm. You want to approach everything with uh, almost a musical bent. And that is why I think that the video essay is such a popular uh, medium on YouTube because it, it, is a kind of a storytelling sort of thing so you can tell stories about any number of different subjects It doesn't have to be music and some of these things might be fairly boring and fairly dry the papers the scientific papers that I read like all the time are really boring and really dry and some of them um, I was just reading this book it was uh, the rhythmic elements of music or something, the rhythmic structure of music um, This book is super boring, I really dislike reading this book, but there are some really interesting things that it starts with. And so what I would do is I would take those interesting things, it's talking about prosody and the relationship of the speaking voice to music, and try and explore it in a way that I would find actually interesting and engaging to people. And a lot of that is just taking the nuggets, taking the core nuggets of these things and using them to tell a story with it. So I understand where you're coming from some of this stuff is really dry and really boring, but I guess part of my like mission statement is to try and not make it boring.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a good, that's a good mission. I think you're accomplishing it. So what, I don't think I've said again, for anyone who doesn't know Adam, I don't think I've said that you're a bass player. I'm a bass player. You're the first bass player on the music is wind podcast. How does that make you feel? Oh my God. Honored. Is and- it, are you honored? Or is, do you feel like very <laughs> privileged?
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah no I do feel can, I do can feel you tell me
0: why uh what like your best response is to people who make fun of bass players who are guitar players um well, Actually, I think you did say it in Glenn's video oh uh, something about yes yeah, but you can genitals. keep it clean
1: <laughs> uh I mean a lot of the time I, I will say I'll call a guitar a toy a toy the toy bass or the toy guitar or something like that because it's smaller and yeah. tiny girly strings and like oh that's a good one yeah that's that's I guess my default um I mean you know some people say like bass only has four strings but you can say well violin only has four strings cello has only four strings and you know that's <laughs> there's a million different ways of like saying ah yeah guitars yeah. are the stupid instrument um, yeah but so what know, do you think
0: wh- <laughs> where did you uh, I've seen live streams of you playing bass for five hours straight. <laughs> I have to say I didn't watch all five hours. How but dare you? <laughs> I did check in with you uh to see what was going on. So this obviously is something that you would do in maybe not in that capacity, but you are a really, really good musician and you obviously have done shed sessions that have spent many hours, you know, in a row like that. What uh I want to phrase this properly. How do you look at practice versus creativity? How do you blend the two together?
1: Well, it's interesting because uh, I would consider them two separate things, or at least two separate ideas, or maybe creativity is uh, something that you can practice and apply. Um, when i I've done two really long, Really long live streams, and they were kind of as a almost a YouTube performance art sort of thing, rather than something that you're supposed to watch the whole way through. One was <laughs> I was playing the lick, which is a famous jazz meme lick, over and over again for oh, five yeah, hours. Oh yeah, that
0: was the first one I saw. Yeah. Okay. Yeah,
1: that was that was terrible. But then I did one called the five hour practice routine, where uh, I had a practice routine, like an incredibly detailed practice routine that I just went through the entire thing. It was basically playing all the major scales in all intervals, in all keys, in all inversions of all triads, and all um, all seventh chords in every key, ascending and descending. It was, it was a completely comprehensive list of things. It was not really meant to be, you know, not something that you really are supposed to do every day. And it was kind of, again, a performance art piece to see if I could, you know, actually do it. And mm-hmm. You know, at the end of it, this is the interesting thing. At the end of it, when I was, I very rarely have ever played for five hours straight like that, and that was one of the
0: few times I have. And at the and end, and it of was the, nonstop, like literally, there was a metronome going, and you didn't. Well, I don't no, know if you got up to take a bathroom break or get a glass of water or something, but
1: well, yeah, no, it was, it was pretty much. It was also interesting because I could probably, I could have probably done it in less time, but. Since it was a uh, YouTube, like I was trying to teach people what I was doing. So I was saying what I was doing and explaining. And so right, right. I probably could have done it in four. But uh, yeah, I was sitting there the entire time and I was doing it kind of for two, two reasons. It was a little bit of a performance art piece. I wasn't suggesting that you should do this every day, but there are plenty of people who say that they do that every day, a five hour practice routine. And I was doing it kind of to prove the point that that is ridiculous When you are comparing practice routines, there is this, especially among musicians, especially among young musicians, there's this tendency to try and outdo one another. I'm practicing three hours a day. Oh yeah, well, I'm practicing five hours. Oh yeah, well, I practice eight hours a day. And it was kind of to show how excessive it was. It was ridiculous. It was very physically taxing. I would never suggest you or anybody to practice that much per day. so I've done these streams as kind of like to show you what you can practice, though, and it was a, you know meant to be productive. Um, so, but what I was doing during that was I was practicing scales. I was practicing fundamentals of my instrument. I wasn't practicing songwriting. I wasn't mm-hmm. practicing uh, creative bass playing within songs. I wasn't doing any of that. It was something very different, and there is a there is a difference between the two things. And I think when you're learning your instrument, you have to kind of think about these two things as like the scales, the mechanical things, the technical proficiency at your instrument. I think you have to think of that as something separate that you have to practice. And then also songwriting and uh, composition and these other things, they're, they're skills. They're things that you just, um, you add to your bag of tricks. So how do you practice songwriting? I'm doing it a lot. And I'm not, I'm not a songwriter, but uh, I'm a composer, whatever that means, um, I, uh, my, I have a graduate degree. I went to the Manhattan School of Music after Berkeley, and I got another jazz composition degree. And w- the way that you practice composition is you just do it a lot and you don't keep like revising the same piece of music over and over again, you just keep writing new pieces of music. It's the same thing for practicing scales. You keep practicing the scales over and over and getting better at them. And every time that you write something new, you get slightly better at it. And I'm, there's this uh, book called by Gil Goldstein called The Jazz Composer. What is it called? It's something about jazz composition. <laughs> but I remember this thing. He he talks about... Um, if you're going to consider yourself a composer or a writer of music, you have to treat that as a job the same way that a shoemaker treats their their job very seriously. They go in every day to make shoes. Whether or not they like making shoes or not, they just, that's what they do. They make shoes. Mm. And so they go in every day, even if they take a lot of creative joy out of it, a lot of, they find artistic fulfillment in making shoes. On the days that they don't, want to make shoes, they still have to do it. They still go in and make shoes. So I kind of view composition similarly, and I kind of also view musicianship similarly. If you're going to call yourself a musician, you have to go in every day and practice, even if it's not not five hours, but you want to make a habit of it so that you can call yourself that the same way that the shoemaker calls themselves a shoemaker because they go in every day and they make shoes. And I found that Uh, A fairly inspiring um, sentiment for myself because it made me rethink kind of the whole thing. It's not this thing that you just wait for inspiration to strike. You have to treat it with some degree of discipline and you have to treat it with the same degree of respect that a normal quote-unquote job would require. And uh, yeah, I think that's that's usually that's how I, I think about like practicing creativity. Um, so with with yeah.
0: technical with the technical side, you can measure your progress with a metronome. Mm-hmm. How do you measure your progress as a composer or a songwriter? That's or a, do you at all? Uh,
1: that's a very good question. And I'm not sure if I'm 100% qualified to say I know or that there is a metric, but I can say that for myself, my progress is it's something that I feel basically. Am I feeling more and more like the music that I'm writing? is what I'm hearing in my head because in the beginning when I write something especially for a genre of music that I'm not super comfortable with I I hear something in my head I know what I like but I don't know how to achieve that yet and as soon as I start hearing music that I'm writing that matches the level of taste or matches the level of artistic intent that I hear in my head that's how I know that all right, I'm on the right path I'm now doing things that are better than I used to Um, But there is not that same sort of objective like, all right, I'm now, you know, the waveform is now closer to the metronome. Now I'm better at music. It's not quite that same, you know, it's not quite that same level of scientific precision, I I don't think, anyway.
0: I like that. So if you were to pick up a bass at this exact moment and play the first thing that came to your head, what would it be? Oh, God. All right. Um, weirdly. It doesn't have to be a song, but what's uh, the first th- What are you thinking about right now? What's uh, going to happen? There's this
1: chord melody. I don't know why this just popped in my head. Um, Georgia. Uh...
0: Ah, shit. <laughs>
1: it's weird i've been working uh, this this is the strange thing about like having a youtube channel is that i have to now divide my time and divide my energy between actually making music and making videos about music mm. and one of the things that i i realize is that my chops on my bass guitar kind of go to hell if i'm not like all right you know, if I've been making a video essay about like infrasonic sound, I'm not practicing my bass during any of that. But um, one of the things, whenever I do get a chance to play bass, is I like to play chord melodies, which is a strange, like, sort of thing for a bass player to play, uh, especially, especially on an out of tune bass. Um, chord <laughs> melodies are really fun for me because they're so hard to actually do on bass guitar. They're like this, uh, this challenge because you know, on regular guitar, excuse me, on toy guitar. Uh, you have many, many more options. Your fingers can go like all, all sorts of different ways, but on bass, you just don't have that option. And you know, I like uh, it's basically just a way of like um, playing bass for myself, just for myself, and like letting letting me make some music with my bass guitar for myself in between video essay video essay uh, sections. So that's kind of what I was thinking. Like this is Georgia on my mind is one thing. I was like working. Is that your own arrangement? Yeah. Uh, I'd worked on it like maybe a year or two ago, and now just like the past day or two, I just uh, started working on it again. It's uh, um, it's just a fun like little thing, and uh, honestly, I, I'm not quite sure why I'm playing it right now because I don't have any of it worked out, but um, that's just like a fun thing that I've been working on
0: for myself. While, while your bass is in your hand there, uh, and speaking of chord melodies, what is your favorite... Intervalic change Hmm. harmonic change if you want to call it that what what is your favorite sort of it doesn't have to be a resolution but what's your favorite two chord change
1: uh that's an interesting question there's a there's one that happens all the time in like modern like fusion music there's uh this this change and it also happens in radiohead um do you know ben levin by any chance um yeah i think
0: he was in the same class (laughs) as me oh really
1: oh cool Yeah. yeah Um, he, another YouTuber, guitar guy, and he, very quirky guy, and he had this, uh, video where he calls it the Radiohead Chord Generator, but it's a way of shifting from chord to chord where you're just using triads, and one of the cool ways of doing it is, like, having a minor triad, like this, a C minor triad, going to the major triad, down a half step, so if we have, like, C minor going to, um, going to B major, that's, like, one way of doing it. Um, and you can also like think about it uh, as the uh, seventh chord so like a C minor seven going to a B major seven the third and the seventh of the C minor seven are the same third and seventh of the B major seven so even though they're not not really any part- in any particular key um, they sound cool together because they're kind of like connected because they have the same third and seventh and that's like a cool like little thing um, so that's like, cool
0: yeah that's you know there's all when all would kind- you when would you use that? Uh, in some context if you had to write something on the spot how could you put that into a a chord progression yeah so that that like
1: (laughs) Um, that right there what I was just doing let me try and come up with some context for that little uh that's basically. Um, there's this thing that happens all the time, actually in Brazilian music um, and a lot of like voice leading in bossa nova music. But what it is is it's basically uh, taking chords or taking like the individual notes of chords and voice leading them chromatically in a way such that the chords are not really in any particular key, but they're um, they're connected because all of the chord or all of the notes, the voices within a particular. Um, like chord progression, they're moving by half step, and your ear hears those moves by half step, and it kind of likes them. So that was kind of like a C minor, going to a B major, going to uh, going to like a B flat sus, I guess, uh, going to uh, A sus, resolving to A major. So no key has C minor, B major, B flat sus, A sus. That's just not a thing that happens in any key, but Yeah, it's just like a little descending thing. I don't know. Um, and I like this, that sort of thing where it doesn't have a like a particular key center. It's just kind of this floaty sort of thing. Um, there's a, a piece of music called One Note Samba, uh, which has a similar sort of idea where like um, the chords are... D minor, I mean, it's in a key, but it's the same sort of voice leading. It's like a D minor seven going to a D flat seven, going to a C minor seven, going to a, a B seven. And there's a, an F on the top every time. It's called one note samba because there's only one note there the entire time. Um, but that's like a common, yeah, a common thing that I, I don't know, just, you're you're asking me these questions that I'm just like.
0: Well, that's what's happening right now in your head. Yeah. That's, you know, that's it's That's your answer right now. It's going to That's change. what I like about music. It, it's always, you know, it's always changing. So <clears throat> uh, it's interesting that you s- use that kind of chromatic movement because I just made a video about uh, Your Smiling Face by J- James Taylor. Oh, cool. And that, that whole thing. Yeah, is, yeah. Is chromatic all the way down the major scale, but it's like the ha- most happy-go-lucky chord progression you'll ever hear, and I just think that's it's really interesting because you're you're approaching it from a sort of darker perspective, and in the in the way that it sounds, but music is just so mysterious that ways. When yeah, it, when's your when's your video essay on chromaticism oh. affecting major and minor harmony? Oh God, coming. <laughs>
1: That's the problem. Is like I'll have an you know we'll have an idea like this, and then it's just like all right. Well, that's the next
0: month of my life. Put that I've put that in gone. the in the queue. Yeah. So how much how much time do you spend on a video? Because man, I was watching uh, your video today that you mentioned. What was the title again? Uh, what what clickbait did I settle on?
1: Um, <laughs> how to see ghosts using infrasound. Uh, yeah. Yes. Um, okay.
0: So how because when you're playing the tune that you ended up with. There were every single note that you played had a little text bubble indicating I don't know the frequency or what whatever yep. it was. That must I, I was just looking at it from an editor's perspective, <laughs> and I was just like he had to find every single note and have a tiny little text cut. Yeah, do that. You had to do it manually unless there's some Final Cut wizardry that you know that I don't. Yep. Uh- so. How, that had to take hours. So how, how long do you spend on a video? Uh,
1: it takes well, that video in particular the one I released today was uh, at least I mean, I'm gonna say a month altogether. I mean it, it, I'm working on many different things at the same time as, as you probably do too or maybe you don't. I don't know, but I I'll have like I'll be hacking away at an idea for a while. So I wrote that tune last month, like a month ago. And, you know, over the course of the month, whenever I had like an hour that I felt like it, I could start like, you know, keyframing things and doing like those little text bubble things. And, you know, um, it's getting to the point where I'm probably going to eventually hire a video editor to do a lot of those things. But I, I consider that a big part of my channel is to be doing these like little, I don't know, like the little editing animation things I really enjoy. And I really it's like your
0: creative identity.
1: Yeah. And it's it's a way for me to express myself outside of music, too. And, um, yeah, it, it takes a long time. Now, for other videos, um, like for Q&As, those will take a little bit less time, but I'll still spend a very long time trying to articulate the things that I want to say to answer, you know, people who write in with their questions. And I'll spend a very long time just practicing my answer, like, over and over and over again until I get something that I feel like is right. Um, you know, when you make YouTube videos, like, it, it's it like my i feel like my job a lot of the time is more as a video editor and as an actor weirdly enough (laughs) um yeah which is strange like you know practicing lines is something that i spend a lot of time doing because i really tightly edit these you know scripts to make sure that every word is exactly what i want to say and you know just practicing that and um yeah, it's just that's just what it is, and that's why, like, when I pick up the bass, it's a treat for myself. It's like, oh, I get to play bass. I'm terrible. I remember at it. this thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, I remember. I remember. Speaking
0: how to... of th- speaking of that, uh, and then I want to ask you about your your work you do in the live music scene in New York. Uh, but while your bass is still there, what is the most difficult thing that you can play that is not difficult for you, but is really difficult for someone else? And I'll give you an example, oh, like. God. I would just uh, say this is a really difficult-looking thing. It's just a finger-picking thing, where it's just three, three notes. Oh, okay, yeah. Do you have something like that that's like super flashy-looking, but really it's simple? Like I, I used to be really into tapping,
1: like like that's my flashy thing. I never really do it anymore, but So that that to me is my like hey, look at me. Dude, I can play cool. really fast. But That was
0: like a that was like a <laughs> Joe Satriani thing. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah.
1: Um yeah, I mean, well, part of the reason why I stopped doing it is just because I didn't think it sounded that great on bass guitar um, I used to be like if my very first video on YouTube was a uh, me tapping my seven string bass uh, like I had a seven string bass at the time and I played the maple leaf rag and everybody was like oh my god that's so amazing and <laughs> you know I've lost all those chops like a decade ago um, but part of it is I just didn't like the sound of it that much and it, it was like it ended up feeling like a little bit too show offy for no particular reason Um sure. Um, I still Ooh, that remember, was cool. I still remember how to play the beret, Bach beret in E minor. Um, but yeah, see, and, I
0: thought that song was written by Tenacious D.
1: <laughs> this is Bach and it rocks. It's <laughs> a rock block of Bach. <laughs> <laughs> it's The best. Uh, yeah, I can't. I couldn't ever top that. So uh, right. just let it. And you know, the person that like kind of rekindled my interest in tapping was actually Sarah Longfield, because like you know we did the thing up in Oeart, and then oh, yeah. I saw her just like go, and I'm like, damn that
0: that's pretty cool yeah she was playing something and i was trying to pick it and i was like uh maybe i'll actually just do this <laughs> maybe you, <laughs> and you do I, like the came fast. up with a different <shrug> part she's like just harmonize me with, with me like this and i was like oh uh hold on hold on actually th- this sounds much cooler if i do something like <laughs> this <laughs> yeah oh man it was... yeah, it's always nice to be humbled well it's interesting
1: um, man just, just on herb just one second uh the thing that was really interesting working with her is she knows nothing about music theory and she will let you know over and over again that she knows nothing about music theory, but like it was, it was really cool working with her cause she obviously had all these crazy cool ideas. But um anyway, I just wanted to mention her one more time because
0: yeah, that's I really cool. her guitar I, playing. I, I liked that too. She, I remember she said that and it was kind of, I mean, it was a great balance of musicians because if you have too many people who think similarly and, in uh in regards to creating well i don't know if even people who know music theory approach it the same way but just having a a sort of communication barrier that actually works out in a positive way sometimes because you have to express yourself in like a more primal way when it comes to music and you know people are always asking me do i need music theory to do x or should i if i learn music theory will i lose all of my soul and the answer is no to all those questions
1: yeah i mean the thing interesting very interesting working with uh sarah and also i think stevie t said that he didn't know a whole lot of theory although like when people like that say they don't know theory for me it almost feels like they're um they're not saying they're like I don't know it's almost like a defense mechanism because i think they know they clearly know a lot more than they are letting on almost yeah Yeah. um and i i think that it's what you say is, is a method of communication that's very very useful and it depends on the situation like for that particular situation that we were working on we could just like throw ideas back and forth just by playing them And that was really great. And that was honestly, like, whenever I compose with other people, I haven't got that opportunity. That's usually the way it goes down. But there's other situations where that sort of thing just would not work out. And it would have just been a lot easier just to say, like, all right, let's, you know, do a 2-5 turnaround on the, you know, whatever. Like, I don't know, just spout (laughs) out whatever normal theory BS that we typically would use but that saves, you know, time and money in a recording studio, which is, you know, at the end of the day it saves money knowing theory, which is uh for some people like that's when it the light bulb moment hits like oh if we can communicate this that quickly it will happen now. It won't happen 4 hours from now. It will happen right now. And I think that's a really big utility in theory that doesn't really like get talked about that often but uh talking about it right now
0: okay that's a uh that's a perfect segue into your other aspect of your career which oh, yeah. is as a uh, a live i don't know what what do you call yourself a, a gunslinger a gunslinger is that, is that your 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 title you you play bass for a lot of different projects it seems uh, across New York City, which I think New York City may be the hardest place to, to do that uh, in the world. So how, in a nutshell, have you gotten to where you are? And then I'll ask you about what it is precisely that you do.
1: Yeah. So before I started doing the YouTube thing full time, I was, as you say, a gunslinger. I, I would call it myself a session bass player, which basically means that I'm a bass player for hire So if Mm -hmm. some original artist needs a bass player for them to play shows or for touring purposes or whatever, they can say like, oh, Adam can play and then they'll pay me a flat fee that is completely, um, that doesn't rely upon like door sales or album sales. I just get paid a fee to play a show. And that, you know, manifests in many different ways. Like uh, I was doing a lot of theater, like Broadway and off-Broadway things for a long time um, there's a couple, they call them cabarets where it's basically, um, people from Broadway put on solo shows and then I'll be in the backing band for them. Um, I was a member of the musicians union for a while because I was doing these theater gigs that require you to be part of the union. You're not allowed to play the gigs unless you have a union card, which is interesting. Um, it's, it was, a an interesting experience and I think an experience that I assumed that I would just be that was just what I was going to be, and then occasionally play my creative projects on the side. And the YouTube channel kind of thrust me in a very, very different direction from that. But I still am very much part of this session scene, because it's um, almost like I feel like it uh, gives me a validation for myself. And I really enjoy the challenge of being able to go into a situation and say, like, all right, you got 10 minutes to learn all this material and then we're going on stage. And for me, that's like, it's so exciting. Like, Oh my God, the challenge. So Uh, is this
0: your like ideal situation as a musician um,
1: right now? Well, yes and no. I mean, I do want to be able to play my, like original music out and I'm starting to do that a lot more. Um, I do want to be able to do more crazy sessions. I want to be able to tour with Pop acts. Um, You know, for a while, I was actually the music director of a wedding band, and I've gotten a lot of shit on my channel for that because, like, oh, my God, Adam is a, weddings, like a wedding band musician. Ugh, he's so cheesy. And to that I say, and I've actually talked with some of my friends who are probably the most insane-killing musicians you'll ever see, they all play weddings on the weekend. Like, everybody. And the reason for that is that's where you actually make money. That's where you sustain yourself. That's where you sustain your career. And so you can go and do your artistic sorts of things during the week. Um, Evan Marion, who's voted number two bass player, or like he was voted up and coming bass player and bass player magazine alongside Hadrian Faro and Esperanza Spalding, a friend of mine. Amazing, amazing bass player. Um, Played with Alan Holdsworth uh, before he passed. Like he was part of his band, plays with Virgil Donati, plays with all these people. He's in a wedding band. He plays all the time. Every weekend, he travels and gets paid an insane amount of money in order to play weddings. And that's, you know, it kind of doesn't, uh, and I, I, I feel comfortable with saying that because he said it online on my, on my channel. So I don't want to like say anything else about anybody else, but it's almost like this dirty secret that everybody plays weddings. Well, it's not really a dirty secret. You got to make money somehow. And I'm now at this really interesting sort of, um, crossroads because I don't need to do that anymore and yet, yet I still do it because I feel like in a weird way it validates me in the scene a little bit more because everybody else is doing it so I should be able or I should do it also and it's it's an interesting thing for me because I'm kind of like living a a, a double life the, um, the YouTube life and the session life and it's uh, I, I enjoy it though I really do enjoy it.
0: Would you say you've ever met a session player Kind of in the same scene as you, who doesn't know any music theory. No,
1: um, so that's n- kind of a requirement. Yeah, no, no. Everybody, um, <laughs> to put it uh, succinctly, everybody is a motherfucker. That's the <laughs> yeah. that's the term that's used. Uh, yeah, everybody sight reads everything cold basically even even the singers um you know there's a, a very very deep like singer scene too that's associated with the session scene because singers like singing back up for like late night shows and like doing all sorts of things like broadway shows and stuff uh everybody has a pretty intimate knowledge of theory and reading um and you know it's pr- there i do know some people who don't who didn't go to music school um, but they still were able to teach themselves, and also just by the inertia of like being in the scene, uh, they have to, they kind of have to come along with it. So yeah, and
0: really the reason for that is not only do people who study theory tend to be more, you know, into that kind of chops and 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 things like being able to pick stuff up quickly, but also what you mentioned earlier about the communication. Sometimes you don't have a lot of time to prepare for these gigs and you have to you're going to get called back if you can perform with a moment's notice so that's really the the heart of it it's not like you have to be on this level of knowing stuff be, or, or otherwise you're not good enough it's no you need to have these tools otherwise you won't be good enough
1: yeah it's it's that that's the gate. Gatekeeping isn't so much like knowing theory because nobody really cares if you know theory or not. There's right. a series There's a series of things you must do in order to be able to uh, Do things and like be able to drop in at a moment's notice. There's a session that I'm, I'm really I'm, I'm Such so glad to be part of it. It's called the apartment sessions where it's basically this whole like collective orchestra which every couple weeks crams into like a small apartment in Brooklyn and and uh, the arrangers write these incredibly intricate pieces of music, like neoclassical, jazz, uh, contemporary, classic, uh, very intricate pieces of music, and everybody has to sight read it. And the reason why everybody has to sight read it essentially is just a matter of um, logistics because there's no way— You can't
0: get in a room to practice.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you can't (laughs) just— You can't get
0: 40, 50 people (laughs) in a room.
1: Yeah, and also these 40 and 50 people are, like, at the height of, like, just incredibly great session Broadway musicians. Uh, there's a beatboxer, Gene Shinozaki, who's, like, one of the best beatboxers in the world, or I, at least I think. I'm not part of that scene, but he everything I've heard of his is absolutely insane. Um, he comes in, and, like, there's all these different people who lead these very intense professional lives, and then they have to go in this situation where it's like, all right, here's a piece of music. We're going to, like, run it, like, maybe two or three times, and then we're going to hit record, play it, play it good. And, um, it's, there's a certain thrill, there's a certain thrill that comes with that because, you know, it might not be perfect at the end of the day and not might not have that sort of like same, um, thing as like a professional recording where everything is just like layered in and just like met like the perfect sort of take. But just because everybody's on edge and trying to like show off and like at this, like the, everybody is vibrating at a high vibration frequency. I don't know. Um, it's an exciting thing and so it, it carries with it its own creative energy even though it's not like creating music straight from the soul no you're trying to like do the do the job that you were hired to do and i don't know i i really still get a kick out of that and i think i will continue
0: to get a kick out of it for a long time so what is your next big thing that you have planned do you ha- do you make plans like that or what it, what what's the next thing that you're really excited about uh,
1: well, okay. I mean, the next video essay, I have a couple of ones that I'm like working on. Um, one is going to be about the girl from Ipanema, which is, you know, the background music that, you know, like in V for Vendetta, girl from Ipanema is not that. Um, yeah. and I am going to make a whole video essay about this, you know, dumb little background song, but, um, hopefully explain some things and go deep on it in terms of YouTube videos, that's it, um, I have, like, a couple of shows, I have the singer showcase that I do, it's called Jazz School, I do it, um, I have it coming up in June, June 12th at Rockwood, if anybody is in New York City doing that, um, I don't know, there's, there's so many, like, little things that are floating around, uh, it's hard to say, like, all right, the next big event, um, but
0: going to Germany, and next month, you're you're going to be there, right? Yeah. I don't know if we're allowed to reveal that, but let's just say Adam and I will be in Germany for some unnamed event. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> damn. Yeah. All right. It's going to be we're sweet. going to Germany. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Last last couple of questions here. Rapid fire questions don't yep. have to be rapid fire answers. Okay. What is something about music that you believe that other musicians would disagree with you on? Um, there are things, <clears throat> let's
1: see, let see if I can put it this way. There is such thing as good and bad music, but it's very difficult, if not impossible, to quantify that. Okay. There we go. We'll leave it
0: at that. <laughs> uh, what if, uh, if every bass player in the world had to drive past a billboard every day uh, to and from wherever, wherever they're going, what would you want to put on that billboard route fifth (laughs) (laughs) so you would just troll everyone yeah i would do that okay got it uh last one how do you play music in three words or less um lots of bass (laughs) lots of bass uh that's coming a from adam neely that <laughs> is that, that that needs to be a bumper sticker lots of bass lots of bass yeah well you asked right for on. like the try, i'm yeah. trying
1: to give you the rapid fire like first thing that comes to mind so lots of bass we're going with that lots one
0: of bass. awesome man adam neely check out his youtube channel it'll be linked in the show notes and it's been a pleasure chatting with you brother
1: yeah man i'm looking forward to hang out uh
0: soon Yeah, I'll see you on another continent. (laughs) All right. Take it easy, man.